Amen. Come, let us Chapter 9, starting at verse 1, you will find these words. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. And afterward, more heavenly oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Let us move down to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end upon the throne of David over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And I just want to talk with you for a few moments from the thought. Isaiah's Christmas special. 
Isaiah's Christmas special. This morning in our Sunday school, we dealt with a text that is similar to this from a New Testament perspective in the gospel according to Luke chapter 2. It was the reality that the child had been born. But this morning, I want to take a little time to go back into the Old Testament and look at the prophecy of Isaiah that came true in Luke chapter 2 and in the context at which it's placed to try to get another purview, if you will, another perception, another view of what this might have looked like to the Old Testament believers. What this might have looked like to the Israelites, amen, in their context. When we look at chapter 9, we must see it in his historical context around about all of the issues that Israel was dealing with were actually with Judah was dealing with. Because in this context, what we find is many years before that, that Judah and Israel had split. It was once all the nation of Israel, but they split during the time of Rehoboam. Because Rehoboam was stiff-necked and he wanted to counsel with other men instead of listening to God, the kingdom was split. A house without Christ is a house that will be divided and a house that will fall. See, uh, kingdoms and, and houses and nations cannot continue to live out their mission if they don't live it with the Lord. And that's where Rehoboam went wrong, that he figured that he could get better wisdom from men instead of listening to God. And so the kingdom had been split by now. The northern kingdom called Israel, the southern kingdom called Judah. And then really there was strife between the two kingdoms. But that's what happens when sin entered in. See, sin can enter into a family that had harmony and that everybody was getting along and working together. And before you know it, everybody's fighting one another. Because when sin enters in, sin brings strife. Strife comes out of sin. Sin has a way of working in the flesh and the works of the flesh is strife and division and envy and jealousy. See, all these things start to enter in. And so here we are now with the kingdom split. But it got worse. It got worse because as time went along, amen, the kings of the kingdoms changed. In chapter 6, Isaiah said, in the year King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. One of the nation's greatest kings under David, a man, was King Uzziah. But he died. And if you are not careful, a man, and the Lord doesn't come back before then, we will die also. Amen. And one of the problems that the king had at that time is the people were starting to worship him instead of worshiping God. 
And sometimes people can start to worship you. They can start to sing your praises, but it is our job to make sure that they are diverting to Christ. Amen. People sometimes get enamored with our gifts and our abilities and then they get their eyes off of Christ and start looking at me. But we must make sure that we keep pointing everybody to the Lord. Amen. But after King Azar died, amen, along the way a new king was on the throne, actually the grandchild of this king, and his name is Ahaz. Ahaz was a wicked king. He, he was hypocritical in that he tried to play like he was holy, but of course, under the covers, he was full of excess and distortion. King Ahaz, he, he, he got himself into a pickle because as the king of Judah, he made the kingdom of Israel upset. So Israel and Syria were teaming up to come and overthrow Judah. Now it's a bad set of circumstances when your own family huh, teams up with somebody outside of your family to destroy you. But that's what can happen when sin enters in. Oh, yeah. See, we got to watch how we act and we got to watch what we do. Because, see, the king of Judah was so selfish. And he was doing things to make other folks mad. And before you know it, now he's got a war on his hands. Oh, yeah. But King Ahaz was spoken to by the prophet Isaiah to tell him, don't worry about it. He said, God said, I'll fight your battles. You, you don't have to worry about the kings of Israel. You don't have to worry about the king of Syria. Let me handle it. But no. Ahaz decided that he could take care of this situation all by himself. He, he, he figured that God's vengeance and God's protection wasn't the way he wanted to go. So he used his own wisdom, which was foolishness in the eyes of the Lord, and he teamed up with Assyria. So he decided that he would team up with Assyria against Israel and Syria so that they would be able to overcome them. But see, God will not allow anybody else to be in his place. He will not allow education. He will not allow family, friends, governments, officials, or anybody else to be in his place. And that was Ahaz's problem that he didn't want to put God where he was supposed to be. Ahaz wanted to move God out of the way and do it his way. But as we discussed in Sunday school this morning, the real problem is he didn't have any vision. See, Ahaz could see weapons and political um, contacts, and he could see military might, but he couldn't see God. See, when we get to the point when we try to see things 
through a political aspect and through military might and through allegiances that we make with other folks, instead of making allegiance with God, we make a vital and fatal mistake. And so God looking down, sitting high and looking low, he saw the conversations that Ahaz was having. And he said basically that, okay, Ahaz, you want to do it your way? You want to have it? I'm going to let you have it. And I'm going to let you have it all by yourself. And God prophesied through Isaiah to let Ahaz know that this victory would not be won. Said you would mount up with your weapons. You would get your horses ready. You would get your men on the path, but they would be defeated. And it would come in a way that Ahaz didn't think it would come. While Ahaz thought he had it going on, he had his buddies on his side, Assyria, and they was going to mount up politically and militarily and go attack Israel and Syria and overcome them. God touched Assyria and told Assyria to attack Judah. And not only attack Judah, but attack Israel and Syria as well. God is able to use any nation he wants to, any way he wants to, to get his people's attention. So Assyria's armies were so great that he said they were just like insects. They were just everywhere. And they overcame Syria, overcame Israel, and overcame Judah. The very friends that Ahaz thought he had by his side was the ones who turned against him. But that's what happens when sin enters in. I'm just talking about Isaiah's Christmas special today. I'm just talking about how, what things look like and how things were when the pronouncement of the true king came on the scene. See, man had done all they could do in their governments. They had done all they could do with their schemes And it's come to nothing. Mm -hmm. Now Israel's down. The northern kingdom. Now Judah's down. The southern kingdom. Now a pagan nation is down. Syria. And they're all under the auspices and control of a pagan nation called Assyria. All because Ahaz wouldn't listen to the Lord. How many things in our lives have been destroyed because we just wouldn't listen to the Lord. The Lord has told us and showed us and put roadblocks in our way, signs and flashing lights, but even after all that, we said, thank you, but no thank you, Lord. I got this. I'm going to go my way. I think I see what's the real solution to the problem. And got ourselves in quagmires and messes that we're still trying to get out of. Today is Isaiah's Christmas special, but in the midst of it, there's always instruction. Amen. There's always the reason for the season. Amen. There is a reason for this season. Amen. Because there was a world who had no way out of their predicament. There is a world They could not find their way. They could find no doors to open. They could find no paths to bliss. They were on their way to a downward spiral into a burning hell. 
Because sin had entered in. But God being so gracious, even after he spanked Ahaz and he he spanked Israel and he he spanked Syria and, and he used Assyria to do the spanking, God still had a plan. And it's so good that God had a plan not only for Israel, not only for Judah, but he had a plan for the world. By this time, Israel was on the brink of being utterly destroyed. God had through the the prophet Isaiah prophesied that Israel would be no more. And thereafter, a passing of time, the northern kingdom was torn apart and destroyed. The people were mingled with other nations and that the northern kingdom exists no more. So God is not a man that he should lie or not the son of man that he should repent. Now God in his word says that there's a penalty for sin. Amen? There's an ultimate penalty, but there's also penalty for day-to-day sins. Amen? But sometimes we start to look at our own counsel and we start to look at our own circumstances and sometimes believe because lightning is not flashing and the ground is not opening up right now where we are, it's going to be all right. But God is not slack according to his promises. That's right. It may not happen when you want it to, but it'll happen right on his time. So that works just as well for when he's going to bless us than when he's going to spank us. And so we can be going along thinking we got away with it. But all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the consequences will come. And I like to say so many times what Sister Butler says, she said, you can choose the sin. But you cannot choose the consequences. And that's a true statement. That is a, you cannot choose the consequences. You don't know what the consequences would be. Ahaz would have never believed that his ally would be the one to destroy him. And not only destroy him, but his enemies too and wrap them all up. But that's how God works. See, God confounds the wisdom of this world. The minute we think we got God found out, the minute we think we understand his course, he shows us a wholly different thing that throws us right out into a tizzy. Amen. But that's the God we serve. But as we move through our text, praise be to his name that he had an answer. For his people. He he had an answer for their predicament. Because as much as the law wanted to direct them and correct them, it was weak. And that it could not satisfy and it could not fix the problem of a sinful heart. As Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? At the minute that you think that you know your heart and you know what you will do and won't do, the next thing you know, you are falling into a sin that you didn't think you were getting into. But that's when we take it to God right then and say, Lord, I agree with you about me and about my sinful condition. And Lord, I thank you so much for sending your son because I, in my own power, have no way out. And that's why we need to be in a hurry to take it to Jesus. 
and tell him all about it because he can fix it after a while. And so as we look at our text, we see that God said through the, the prophet Isaiah, he said, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Now, most times when a child is born, he's born unto a couple, unto a family, a husband and a wife, for them to have the joy of this child. But the child here that's being born is not just for one couple, not going to be for Mary and Joseph, but it's going to be for the world. Because the world needed some joy that the Lord needs to give because the world had given them a joy, but the world's joy was based on happenstance. And now the people of Israel have no joy because everything is torn up around them. They have lost their national standing. They have lost their identity. And now they are prisoners of a foreign nation. They don't even have their own ability to do what they want to do. They can't even worship the Lord the way they should be able to worship him, even if they wanted to. But this child, this child was sent to make a difference, to make a change, to make a way out of no way for not just Israel, not just Judah, but the entire world. And the text goes on to say unto us, a son is given. The son was not earned. The son was not bargained. The son was not traded. The son was given. What shall a man render for all the gifts from God? Can a man with all their silver and their gold pay for the glorious gift that only God can give? The last time I checked, if we gave our silver and our gold, we're only giving back to him what is already his. Because the Bible says the silver and the gold is mine, saith the Lord. And so we, we come to this place that there is a son given, but he's not just like any other son. If you look at your text, you see that the S in son is capitalized. He's not a son of man in that the son will be limited to humanity. But he's a son that he is God himself wrapped in human flesh. All All of the deity of God is wrapped up in human flesh. Oh, Oh, how powerful our God is. The God who said, let there be, and it was. Oh, yes. Galaxies upon galaxies, universe with expansion, stars that we can't number, that same God has the power to bring himself down into the form of a lowly human being. But he came down amongst sinful folk because he loved us with a love that surpasses all understanding. A love that would love us when we were yet unlovable. A love that would come for sinners who cursed his name. That kind of love. The Bible said God demonstrated his love toward us. That while, not after, not before, but while we were yet sinners. He died. 
So this boy, this this baby boy, the son of God, the, the, the completeness of the Godhead dwelling bodily in the body of a human yeah, yeah, came yeah. to be our Emmanuel, oh, to yeah. be the God with us. With because God. see, God was so far away from us. God was so high that the people could not relate to God. Right. But God now related to us. Now he walked among us yeah, with yeah, no yeah. comeliness. He didn't have special halos on him. He didn't glow around, but he looked like you and like me. Yeah. Amen. He looked so much like us that the, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes couldn't believe that this could be God. Could not believe that this could be the son of God. They said, is this, isn't this Joseph's son? Joseph's isn't that Mary's baby? The carpenter? Out of Nazareth? What kind of blasphemy is this? That he says that he is God. Before Abraham was, I am. Are you kidding me? But Jesus came like that. He came like that so he could identify with everybody. So he could identify with the folks that the world say ain't worth nothing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He could identify with the people that said they have no value. Mm. Because he wanted to be just what they were so that he could be God with us. Oh, yeah. Amen. And nobody else could have did it. Jesus had to do it. Because he looked down through the annals of time and saw our condition. So we was helpless in our ability to get ourselves out. We could not match what the law required. All right, all right. Because sin was always causing us to fall short. Oh, yes, yes. But now a son now, has been given. Oh, yes. A gift that we couldn't buy has been given freely, freely. to us. Uh-huh. And the text goes on and says, and the government will be upon his shoulder. All right, all right. Sometimes we look at this text and we misapply it and misinterpret this text because we say, and yeah, and the, and the federal government of the United States is on Jesus' shoulder. Now that is a true statement in that the government can do only what God allows him to do, but that's not what this text is talking about. All right, all right. He, uh, Romans chapter 13 talks more about how this government, our government, is controlled by the Lord, but this government... In chapter 9 is that Jesus would bring about a new government. Jesus would not bring about a government like the world has. See, the world governs itself according to the prince of the power of the air. According to that old enemy or that old evil one whom we call Satan. The government has a culture that says that wrong is right and right is wrong. Allows dirty politicians to make dirty deals and get away with it, at least in this world. But there's coming a new government. Amen. And the governor is God. And this government that sits on his shoulders does not operate like this government. There won't be no dirty dealing. Amen. There won't be anybody saying that man with man and woman with woman is right. See, in his government. See, the government on his shoulders, he is the authority of because he is the king. This kingdom is not of this world, and this kingdom is not of this realm. 
But the day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the day that you truly trusted him as your savior, you stepped out of the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of Christ. You no longer live according to the dictates of this world. You have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to live out the dictates of his kingdom. To go left when others are going right. To go up when other folks are going down. Because you're part of a new government. And so our text goes on to say, when we look down here, we find that it's on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful, Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, God. Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. When we look at this text, the text is not saying that when we see Jesus, we say wonderful. We just call him properly named wonderful. But we say that his authority has these attributes. Oh, yeah. So we say that Jesus the Christ is wonderful. Right. And in many translations, we get thrown off because of the comma after wonderful. Right. But it really should say wonderful counselor, uh-huh. mighty God, uh-huh. everlasting father, prince of peace. So now what the text is saying to us is that Jesus, the son that has been given, the child that is born, he's going to be a wonderful counselor. There's going to be nobody else like him that can counsel us like he does. When the greatest counselors of this world has given all of their advice, the wonderful counselor will give us advice that will supersede and transcend anything that they have to say. Because he is all wisdom and he is all knowledge. But the text goes on to say that he is mighty God. He has all power in his hand. He has the power to take dead spirits and make them alive in Christ. He has the power to create a new kingdom not of this world by the word of his mouth. He is a mighty God. But he goes on to say uh, that he's everlasting father. When we see these words we must understand that he is the father of everlasting. There is no eternity outside of Jesus Christ. He is the creator of eternity for you and for me. He has the power to keep us now, henceforth, and forever. Am I right about it, church? And then the text goes on to saying that he is the prince of peace. He is the commander and he is the chief. If there's any peace that we're going to have with God, it has to come through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. When we were in love with the world, we were enemies with God. We was on our own slippery slope, one foot on a banana peel and the other foot in hell. But thank you, Lord Jesus, for seeing past my faults and seeing my need. And so because 
that he's the prince of peace. We now have peace with God. He loves us so that God calls us his own children. But then the story goes on to let us know that the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. You don't have to worry about God reneging on his promise. You don't have to worry about God being an Indian giver. You don't have to worry about God saying, oops, now I'm thinking something different. You don't have to worry about that because his government will have no end. The peace that he gives, the world didn't give and the world can't take away. And that peace we will have forevermore. Oh, yeah. Once you truly put your hands in the hands of the master, by no means will anybody pluck you out. But the text goes on to say, upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, the promise was given to David that he would have an everlasting throne, that the king of kings and the Lord of lords would sit on him, and his name is Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see my master. I'm ready to see my master take his rightful place. I'm tired of these folks in this world with all of his twists and turns of sinfulness. I'm tired of dealing with my own humanity and my own sin. But I know one of these days, one of these days, that Jesus is coming back for me. He's going to come back for me. And when the trumpet sounds, and I shall be changed. No more sin, no more death, no more trouble, no more pain when I see Jesus one of these days. And when we look at our text, we find that God's not going to come back to create chaos. He's coming back to order all things. And from the time forward, even forever. I'm so glad that Jesus is a forever God. All of the things we deal in this world, they have an end. The joys that we have in our families, folk die. The joy that we have on our jobs, jobs end. The joy that we have in our houses and our cars, they break down and they burn up in the fire. But the joy that we have with Jesus Christ, there will be no end. And he will continue to love us now, henceforth, and forevermore. For the text says that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is none other than Jesus Christ. Oh, how great it's going to be to see our Savior face to face. Because one of these days, we're going to, clouds are going to roll away. And our Savior is coming back for a church without spot or blemish. And we shall be with him and dwell with him forevermore. At his right hand is the fullness of joy. Hallelujah. By and by. In his presence is the greatness of joy that we cannot comprehend today. Eyes have not seen, nor ears have heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men the good things that Lord has in store for us. Praise the name of the Lord. And at this time, we will open the doors of the church for anybody here. Praise the Lord.
that doesn't know him in the pardoning of our, our sins. Amen. Hallelujah. You can come just as you are. If you say, I really don't know Christ, I really don't know him for myself. I hear what you're saying about Emmanuel, God with us. But I don't have that relationship. You can have it today. You can come just as you are and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And come and live in my heart. Because he wants to show you how to live a life that's truly pleasing to him. He wants you to know that he's real. Come right now. Thank you.